Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This message is actually kind of a fruit of some thoughts I was having yesterday and and then some of the discussion I was having with the deacons last night at the deacons meeting. <clears throat> so I'm going to read Philippians 1, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, and with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because you have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. In the title of the message tonight, Confidence in the Present Distress. Confidence in the Present Distress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to open your precious word. And we thank you, Father, that in times of distress and discouragement and defeat, we can go to the word of God and find comfort and grace and hope and assurance. And uh, we can find strength in you. We pray that you just encourage us tonight and strengthen us. Uh, give us that which we need for, for the, the day in which we're living, that you might be glorified in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we think about, uh, and I was attracted to that word confidence, the word confident is used twice in this book. The word confidence is used three times in the book of Philippians. Uh, but as I think about the, you know, confidence in the present distress. Uh, and this, the first part of this message is going to be very discouraging. I will assure you of that. Uh, most of it you already know. Probably all of it you already know. It's just, you know, the more we hear it, the more discouraged we get. Uh, you think about the current present distresses that we have uh, in, our, in our world and in our nation. Of course, the economic distress, you know, July... July's unemployment rate was 10.2%. Now, that sounds terrible, but I want you to think about something. In 2012, it was 7.7. In 2010, it was 9.6. 2010. In 2010, December 2010, 15 states reported unemployment rates of 10% or greater. That was in 2010, and we think it's bad now. December 2010, there were 14.5 million unemployed people. Okay, in July 2020, there's 16.3 million. Not a whole lot more. So, you know, that's not so bad. It is bad, but it's not so bad. You know, it's, it's, it's been worse. But, but that is the present distress, the economic distress. Of course, you know, a, a big part of that, of course, is the lockdowns pushed by fear of COVID-19. Uh, giving out stimulus checks is only going to fur- further burden our 
national debt, which is going to further burden our tax, um, the cost of our, uh, the increase of our taxes. Uh, billions, of, of course, some of this is billions of dollars in damages done by lawlessness, uh, pressure to, to governments to be big daddy and, you know, be the source of freebies to everyone. Uh, you know, like health care, free school, free phones, free housing, you name it. You know, the government's going to provide all this stuff for us and uh, so on and so forth. And if you were, if you were um, uh, silly enough to watch any of the DNC speeches, that's what you're going to get if that's what we get. <laughs> uh, so that's a, that's a, that is certainly a distress that... We all, in some way or another, feel or will feel. It's going to affect us all. Um, there's the lawlessness being permitted by state and local governments, government in general, but mostly state and local governments. You know, the, the pressure, of course, to adopt the socialist worldview. And, of course, you know, this lawlessness is the rejection of the family nucleus, which has been the fabric of societies for thousands of years. You know, any nation that rejects the family nucleus, nucleus perishes. That's what happened to Rome. You know, we think, we think America's bad, it is, with the destruction of the home and things, but Rome, that's, that's what brought the downfall of Rome. Uh, prostitution, homosexuality, Nero was a homosexual. Uh, others of the, of the uh, Caesars were. Uh, so, you know, sexual morality was very rampant in Rome, and it brought the destruction of Rome. Um, <clears throat> so this lawlessness, this disrespect or disdain for authority, which, by the way, the source of authority and the teaching of authority starts at home. At home. You know, those kids that are out there, and they're not they're kids in adult bodies that are out there, disrespecting for police started first disrespecting parents and got away with it. <clears throat> uh, the stirring of turmoil in the world. Of course, there's always turmoil in the Middle East, you know, with Iran and Syria and some other nations there. Those are two, two predominant ones. But there's also turmoil in other parts of the world, which you don't hear too much about on the news because of all the other stuff that's on the news. Just, just give you a couple, um, couple uh, news headlines. Nine, and this, this was just uh, one day ago. Nine Russian warships in waters close to the UK were escorted by the Royal Navy and NATO vessels. The British Navy reported on Wednesday, while the Russian Navy operated in a safe, professional manner. HMS Westminster combined with NATO allies, units across North Sea and Baltic Sea to escort them throughout. So they were in in their waters. ABC News Daily, August 20th, 2020. U.S. Air Force fighter F-22 fighter jets intercepted two sets of Russian bombers off the coast of Alaska on Wednesday morning. One of them coming eight miles from entering the U.S. Territorial Air Force that extends 12 miles from the coastline. Uh, Fox News, published three days ago. General Keene, Russian troops likely to invade Belarus if pro-democracy president assumes power. And this, this is brought to my attention not by news, world news, but by Eric Chapman in Lithuania. As he said in his weekly update, he said, I'm sure nobody's hearing about this because the world news is all about the coronavirus and all this other stuff, but there's 
some really touchy things going on in Belarus, which is a neighboring country to Lithuania, and Russia would love to annex Belarus just like they did Crimea. And, um, of course, the guy that's in there, been in there for 20 years as a, is a pro-Putin man and the, and the opposition party is claiming the election was rigged, um, which if you're a totalitarian government, that's not hard to do. Um, but so there's that with the Russians. There's the, also China, uh, a, a, a uh, present threat in the, uh, in the Asia. Uh, New Delhi, May 27, 2020. However unusual it may sound, Chinese president, and I don't know how you pronounce his name, has asked its People's Liberation Army to prepare for war, even though the COVID-19 threat is not clearly over. Um, this follows the decision to increase the budget for the Chinese military by $178 billion, or 6.6% over last year's allocation. Uh, uh, Daily Mail Online, this was uh, May 29, 2020, says this, quote, China will attack Taiwan if there's no other way of stopping it from becoming independent. One of the country's most senior generals said today. Uh, he added, we do, not pros- do not, quote, we do not promise to abandon the use of force and reserve the option to take all necessary measures to stabilize and control the situation in the Taiwan Strait. So, you know, you have this stirring turmoil. You know, the Bible says in Luke 21, 25, before, before the Lord comes, Jesus said there will be distress of nations. And so we see this going on. Of course, there's lots of things going on even in our, that the Chinese are involved in our country. But, so there, there is this stirring of turmoil. There's the fear of the pandemic. Of course, 5.5 million cases in the United States, according to the CDC, 173,000 deaths. Um, you know, I hate to be a pessimist. I'm not convinced those are accurate, but anyway. Uh, and people are afraid, and, and the fruit of all this is people are afraid to interact with people because of it. I was talking to the deacons last night. What do we do for visitation? I mean, what would happen if we went out there and started knocking on doors in Wake Forest? we'd probably have the police called on us. Not only that, we would be looked upon as if we were out to give everyone COVID-19. <clears throat> now, is COVID-19 real? Yes, it is. Can it be dangerous? It can be. So can the flu. So there's a fear of that. There's a fear in our country this upcoming election, and of course, particularly of election fraud. And, uh, you know, so there's all these distresses, you know, and if we lose the confidence in our election process, which we're losing confidence in our, in our authorities, we'll be just like any other communist country where elections are simply feigned. I mean, they're just a good act. That's all they are. They know before they act, go and vote who's going to be the winner anyway. It's all rigged. So... That's, that's in a nutshell some of the current distresses. I hope you're real encouraged tonight. I could tell you more, but I think it'll suffice with that. But let me ask you this. So is there security or stability anywhere? With all the chaos in the world and the unrest and the fear and panic and threats of war, what are we to do? 
You know, these distresses are real. That is true. But what was the circumstances of the start of the church, and even the circumstances of the church and its world at the time Paul's writing to Philippi? Now think about that for a little bit. What was the circumstances at the start? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 16, you know, Paul's preaching and there's this damsel of who's demon-possessed, falling around saying, these are, sir, these are men of the Most High God, and, and, you know, and they're mocking. And Paul finally casts the demon out of her, and the, those who, her masters, then had him brought before the magistrates and accused him of teaching things that are contrary to the laws of, of the Roman world. And, of course, they, they stirred up the multitude, and they had him arrested and thrown into prison. And that was, out of that, of course, you know, he was brought out of prison then, and, 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 uh, he was, uh, vindicated. They were vindicated as Roman citizens, but, and so they were let go. But that was the conditions under which this church was started. Uh, you know, at the time of this writing, Peter, Paul is in prison. If you notice in verse 7, it says, even as is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in mine heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, so he's, he's a prisoner, and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. And it's believed that this time Paul is in Rome and he's a prisoner of Nero. He's Nero's prisoner. Or is he? Look at Ephesians chapter, well look at chapter 20, or chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says this, you know, though he's, he's in bonds, he says, according to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but without all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me live is Christ, or die is gain. And what he's saying here is, look, I may be Nero's prisoner, but Nero does not control whether I live or die. Because I belong to God. I belong to God. In fact, when he wrote the church at Ephesus, and he wrote the church at Ephesus around the same time, they're both prison epistles, and in Ephesians 4.1, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, I'm here because the Lord allowed me to be here. So, So Paul understood, see, Paul understood even in the distresses that he faced, that he was in and experiencing at this time, that he belonged to God, and his confidence had to, was in him. So let's consider then the conduct, his conduct in present distresses. In verses one or 3 through 6, I want to notice several things. First of all, he, he says to continue in thanksgiving to God. Notice verse 3. I thank God upon my upon every remembrance of you. So Paul's in prison at the hand of Nero, uh, the, the one of the greatest persecutors the Roman government had at that time, and he said, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. So we need to continue in thanksgiving, even in the midst of our distresses. We need to thank the Lord for 
uh, our daily provisions. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all you need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, God did not promise that we would have great stores of reserve in times of distress. Or abundance of things. But He did promise our daily needs. You know, it may change... You know, distress may change the way we have to live. But it doesn't change the promise of God. You know, there's nothing, ha- nothing wrong in having reserves. We just not put our confidence in those reserves. Uh, you know, pe- some people in the parts of the world do this all the time because, you know, when you lived in Maine, when we lived in Maine, there were certain things you prepared for before winter. I mean, it's kind of hard, kind of hard to cut firewood in three feet of snow. So you need to have it reserved before the snows hit. I mean, the first winter we were there, we were late getting it because we didn't get there till September, and uh, <coughs> and uh, you know that was our heat. We had nothing else for the church and where we lived, and so I think it was October before we finally got some firewood. Part of it was we didn't have church and have the money to buy any either, so we got some, finally got some firewood. But it was still green, and it was a it was it was a mess trying to get that stuff to burn for the first month or so. And we cut it in the six inches of snow that year, and split it. Uh, I made up my mind that wouldn't happen again. Uh, no, you have to you have to prepare, and and you know there's nothing wrong with preparing, but but we need to trust God for our daily needs. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this very thing. You know, they were, you know, it was said of Jesus, the foxes have holes, the son of man, uh, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And, and in Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for the body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither did they reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And if you drop down to verse uh, uh, 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, so he not much more clothe you, O ye little faith. Therefore take no thought what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or what ye shall be clothed. For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, he's not saying you ought not to be, you know, going to the grocery store and getting food for the week or going to the, and, and buying clothing so you have clothes to wear. But he's saying that, uh, you know, don't put your confidence in these things and, 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 Act like your life depends on it. Because you just obey God and God will provide, as you obey the Lord, God will provide for these things that you need. You know, God's people throughout the Bible have always been provided for. Most often through ordinary means. In other words, they go work or they, and, and from the things that they the occupations they're involved in, they make or produce things to sustain their living, or they go buy it, they work and earn wages and go buy it from people that make what they need. 
you know, that's usually the way it is. That's, that's ordinary means. But if ordinary means was not available, or not possible, God would provide it supernaturally. The manna in the wilderness. There was no ordinary means of providing food for two or three million people in the wilderness. So God sent manna. And he sent quail. You know, here's Samson dying of thirst after killing a thousand Philistines. And what did God do? He opened a place in the jawbone of that donkey, which he just slew, with which he just slew a thousand Philistines, and water came out. Now, if God can bring water out of a donkey's jawbone, surely he can provide my needs. Even in distressing times. It, you know, it, it appeared in distressing times, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah knew what distressing times were. It appeared he was going to die in the pit. I mean, he was put in the pit by his enemies and forsaken. But God put it in the mind of one man to go to the king and say, Jeremiah's going to die in there. And though the king didn't really like Jeremiah, he said, yeah, go get some men and bring him out. And feed him with bread and water, prison food. But it was enough to survive, because basically that was all that was in the city at that time. You know, Daniel, as a young man, was put under great distress. And even as an older man, you know, when faced with uh, Belshazzar and, and Belshazzar, of course, crowning him with, with all kind of accolades for, for telling him the interpretation, Daniel said, this night, your kingdom's going to perish. This means nothing. You know, it could have meant that night Daniel perished too. But he didn't. Paul knew what it was to see God provide. We see that in the book of Philippians. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So we need to thank God for his daily provisions. For his daily provisions. For the privilege of prayer. Notice verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. We can thank God for the, that we have the privilege of prayer. That we can come boldly under the throne of grace. Attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. After all, we have a God who understands our distress. In Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. Uh, <clears throat> the Bible says... For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was in all points length of, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So, you know, Jesus faced distress on a regular basis. You know, he faced the threat of death on a regular basis. I mean, he, he never, very, very shortly started his ministry and he goes to to Nazareth and, and speaks in the synagogue and, and tells them this day is this scripture fulfilled in their ears and they march him out of the synagogue toward the hill headlong to throw him head first down over and kill him. And of course, the Bible says he simply walked through the midst of them and passed by. See, he faced the threat of death on a regular basis. That's a distress. Has to be 
So he faced that, and he understood what it means to live by faith. He said, foxes have holes, birds of air have nests. Son of man hath not where to lay his head. He knew what it was to deal with unstable friends, disciples, his own disciples. And I never saw this before. I was, it was brought to my attention this week in a devotional book we were reading. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, you know, Jesus asked that question of Peter, uh, or of the disciples, and, um, you know, whom do men say that I am? And then they said, whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered in verse 16 and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Son of him, Blessed art thou, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee by my Father which is in heaven. So he's given a testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And, and, and you turn right around, and in verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus showing the disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You know, Peter just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he's going to turn around and tell Christ what he's going to do. That sounded kind of, sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? You're going to tell the Lord what to do? See, he understands our distresses. But not only that, he is able to undertake for us in our distress. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first came God his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talked about an, an instance he had in his life, how they were pressed out of measure. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through uh, 10, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even life. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to live or die. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So, you know, the, we have the privilege of prayer here, and, and we're able to go to the one who can undertake for us in our distress. He said, it was God deliver us, but you help by prayer for us. By prayer for us. James 5, 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he gives the example of Elijah being a, a man of like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. Then he prayed again. The earth gave rain. But understand, he was a man of like passions such as we are. Nathan said he was discouraged. Elijah got very discouraged and had himself a pity party. I'm the only one left. Just take my life. It ain't worth living anymore. He forgot. 
God was still there. You know, Paul is on his way to Rome, and it appears that all hope of life was lost. In in uh, Acts chapter twenty-seven, verses twenty to twenty-five, he says, "And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away." But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened hearken unto me, and have not loosed from Crete, and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall no be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. So, you know, we, we, we thank God for the privilege of prayer that we have one that can undertake for us in our strength, in our, in our distress. You know, in, in 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so we need to be thankful for our daily provisions, for the privilege of prayer, for the fellowship in the gospel. If you notice in verse 5, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, he wasn't talking about a fellowship meal here. You know, often we think of when we, talk, when we think of fellowship today, we think of, oh, we're going to get together, have a meal, or something like that. No, the fellowship here he's talking about was them fellowshipping together with him or working together with him to get the gospel into other places. And he talks about this more in the book. Uh, in chapter 4, that's basically what chapter 4 is all about. You know, the word fellowship means working together in getting out the gospel for a common goal. You know, Brother Francis, when he was on deputation endeavoring to raise mission support, this is how he, he coined it. I'm looking for churches that I can fellowship together in the gospel. In other words, churches that believe just like we do, that we can work together with, because that's what biblical fellowship is, working together with in a common purpose. And this is what the church of Philippi did. Even in distressing times, they were fellowshiping together. Of course, Paul's under distress, but he, he writes to them in chapter 4 and, and talks about how their care for him flourished again, verse 10, and, and so on. And they communicated with his affliction uh, they, they, they concerning giving and receiving. Uh, even at Thessalonica, they sent to his necessity, and so on and so forth. And, and so they were a blessing to him. They fellowshiped to him, together with him, and getting the gospel to other places. You know, we are to endeavor to use the distresses and the opportunities to give hope to people that are in darkness. Isaiah 9, 2 says, speaking of the Lord here in this passage, but we, there's an application to us, the people that walk to darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. You know, the world's in darkness. The world's in fear. The world's in a panic. They don't know what's going to happen. We don't really know what's going to happen in this world either. 
But to us, it's not as important as it is to them. Because this is all they know and have assurance of. See, we have assurance of the life of God and the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. I was talking to a young man at Calvary last week, not Sunday, it was before that, two weeks ago, I guess it was. And he said, you know, he said, some of us young men, you know, we, we talk about things in the world and, and about, you know, possibilities of things that will happen and, 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 you know, that, you know, we're, 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 you know, yes, we hope the Lord's going to come and before we see all this, before we see persecution in America, but he said, we might not. And, you know, really, there are places in the world and have been for a long time where there is severe persecution already. So it wouldn't be new, a new thing to the world if, if it happened here. But he said, but you know, he said, uh, it, God has always provided a way for his people to live, even in the worst situations. And that is true. That is true. It may not be as easy and as convenient as, it, as we like it. But you see, this, this time of distress is also a time of opportunity. The world is without hope. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, he described them, their prior condition, as being that without time you're without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, as Ephesians 2.12, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know, the world is without hope. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't have any security or any hope. See, Colossians 1.3 says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love which you have to all saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye have heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. See, we have hope. This is a good time to offer hope to those you come in contact with who are living in fear. Many in the world are living in fear. And though we may not be able to just go out and knock on doors, we can still talk to people that we meet and come in contact with. You know, Paul wasn't able when he was arrested and taken to Rome, he wasn't free anymore to go from city to city and preach the gospel. But you know what he did? He took those opportunities to preach to that prisoner that's chained to him and all those that waited in him. He had a captive audience. And then he was even given freedom or liberty to have visitors come. He also picked up the pen and wrote to us Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, I believe Hebrews. So he, you know, he continued, you know, and again, using that word fellowship as a biblical meaning, 
He continued in working together, others helping provide him. (laughs) By the way, now the Romans are providing for him. I mean, he's a Roman prisoner. They're providing for him. Of course, I believe there was others that sent his necessities as well, but and he mentions some of them in the book of Philippians. But but the Romans had to provide for him his livelihood to stay alive till he could get to trial and then decide what to do with him. But but he so he used that time to continue in the work of the gospel, giving hope, and, and he give he used it to give us hope by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So, continue in the fellowship in the gospel, and then be thankful for the knowledge of salvation and assurance of eternal life. And want to notice verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not referring to just the fact here, when I say knowledge or assurance of life everlasting, just, just to being saved, but assuring to the finished work of salvation, which will be eventually the redemption of this body. Because that's what he, the idea here, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun. Salvation is just the beginning of our redemption. We have yet to come the redemption of this body. When the Lord will come and will we'll shed this, this uh, 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 natural body and be given a spiritual body and go to be with Him, and, and until that time, he's going to continue to work in our lives to, to mold us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. See, if God, if God is working in your life, if he is directing your life, if he is the Lord of your life, and he is greater than any other power in the world, and you are in his hand. Nothing can prevent your spiritual growth, and nothing can take away your life unless God allows it. And your time is up. See, it's He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, the idea here is we belong to God. There's a verse in Isaiah, I'm not sure where it is, but it says we're engraven on His hands. Of course, John 10 says, I give unto them eternal life. John 10, 20, I give unto them eternal life and they, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So we are, if, if you will, we are in the hand of God, and no one is able to pluck us out of God's hand. So who is he that can hinder you? Who is he that can take your life? Who is he that can deprive you of your need before a God? For God who promised to meet your need if you are in the hand of God. And He is the one that promised that He'd never leave us nor forsake us. See, nothing can, 
can happen that God will not be there. He lives in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. He doesn't. Under, he don't know time. You know, in Exodus fourteen, the children of Israel have left Egypt. The Egyptians loaded them down with gifts as they're leaving, and and hurried them on their ways. Please leave. Get out of here. Please leave. And they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh decides, why did I let those people go? And he begins to pursue them. And the children of Israel begin to cry unto Moses and unto the Lord. You know what Moses said? Stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, trust God. They were in distress because they were about to be wiped out. At least it appeared that way. We said, trust God. It's God that brought us here. And if God has brought us here, it means that God will get us out of here. See, if God has brought us here, it means He's going to continue to work in our lives until He takes us home to be with Him. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, we ought to have confidence in the present distress. You know, do I have concerns? Yes, I do. I won't deny that. I have concerns. And I think those concerns are well-founded with what I see going on in the world. But I also know we have a God that knows the future, knows our situation, knows where I am. And I'm in His hand. He's promised to provide and to give me. He didn't say it'd be easy. But He told His disciples, they may bring you four magistrates. Set out not your hearts beforehand what you shall say. I will give you a mouth. That no one would be able to gainsay. You know, we just need to trust Him. Put our confidence in Him. And I must say, along with Nathan, I need that message just as much as maybe you did tonight. Because you look at the world, and it's discouraging. It's really discouraging. But we need to be like Asaph that goes back to the sanctuary. And then we know their end. Then we know how things are going to come out. And we understand that we still have God. And everything's going to be okay.